for Delaware State of the Arts, I'm Andy Truscott. My guest today is Don Foster from Dover, Delaware, a 2019 Individual Artist Fellow in the field of fiction literature. Don recently had published his new novel, Only the Lucky, now available on his website, DonFosterWriter.com. Don, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm doing great. Um, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, something we're working on collaboratively as the division is to make sure to give some highlight time here uh, to those that participated in, in the Individual Artist Fellowship. And so I'm so thrilled you can be with me today. Oh, um, I'm so curious good. if you can talk a little bit about uh, how you got into writing fiction novels in the first place. Well, you know, I, I would say I, I started making writing uh, a habit when I was around 19 or 20. I was at um, Chesapeake Community College on the Eastern Shore of Maryland, and I had this uh, just fantastic creative writing teacher, and um, she kind of opened the door uh, for me. But, you know, really, I kind of had to backtrack a bit from there. Um, so I grew up in a small farm town in Maryland called Cordova. It's about an hour from where I live now in Dover. And um, growing up, I was out in the country. My sister's 10 years older than me. She moved out when I was 18. So I had a lot of time to myself. It's almost like I was an only child. So I spent a lot of time, um, you know, in the woods, riding my four-wheeler and just kind of thinking up stuff. You know, I, when I went to community college and I took this class, she was so passionate about writing and just being creative. It was, it was contagious. She liked my writing. I was basically writing, I, I would say, probably pretty bad poetry at the time, but she must have saw something that she liked, or maybe she saw that I was enthusiastic about it, and she encouraged me to continue. Um, I went on to Towson University, had another great teacher, it happened to be another poet named um, Patty McCarthy. She encouraged me, and um, I've just kind of made it a steady habit ever since. I don't do it every morning, but, you know, I, I got kids and work and all that, but I probably, I probably write five mornings out of the week, I'd say. You had mentioned, right, that you have the balance of your day job, your family life, and then also kind of this, um, I don't even want to call it a pet project. It's a hobby. It's a, it's a passion of yours, uh, writing fiction. And so can you talk a little bit about how you play discipline into this, this field, right? So like, what is it that you have to use internally to make sure you're getting the writing done? And it's possible, right? That like, it doesn't happen every day and you have to give yourself the grace around that. But for those looking to add some discipline into their, their career, what did you find to be the most helpful? I mean, honestly, I think either you have it or you don't, you want to do it or you don't want to do it. You know, at the end of the day, writers write. They don't talk about writing. They put their butt in their chair. They bang the keys and they get it done. I mean, I come from my my dad was a real hard worker. My mom was a real hard worker. My grandparents. Um, I mean, most of my my family, like aunts and uncles were uh, farmers, construction workers, watermen. My dad was a mechanic. Uh, my mom was a teacher. So a lot of, you know, blue collar work ethic. And I just, I just knew like, all right, the only way to get better at this is to do it. You know, you wake up, you're tired, slam some coffee down and um, get to work because 
look, I'll be honest. I, I know I'm no, you know, Steinbeck, you know, I just figure, all right, I have a little talent here. I'm going to stretch it as far as I can. And the only way to stretch that talent and make something of myself and to get better is I, I got to put the work in. I got to put the hours in. So it's just been a, been a hustle, you know? Do you find that that level of discipline uh, bleeds over into other uh, activities in your life? And if so, can you give an example? Yeah, I mean, 100%. You know, and, and the thing is, is sometimes you don't see um, the results for like decades in, in all facets of your life. Like <clears throat> I've been, I work for a flooring uh, supplier. My uh, my title is territory manager, which is fancy way of saying salesman. And, um, you know, I've been doing it for like 15, 16 years. I was with a company for a while. They went bankrupt. I started with this company maybe four years ago. They hired me when I needed a job. And, um, you know, all the all the work I'd put in, all the contacts of doing what I say I'm going to do um, with my previous customers, it kind of it got to the point where it's made it easy for me now, where it was hard when I started. Now I don't have to prove myself anymore because all my work I did on the, the front end, you know, is backloaded now. So yeah, on a professional level for what I do career, um, things are going really well for me. Um, you know, I'm not really making a ton of money at the writing, but I, I have this book out that I'm proud of, I think's good. And, you know, and my kids are, my kids are doing well too. I, I like to get them off the, uh, the TikTok a little bit more and get them reading. They don't seem to be into that, but you know, sometimes I got to get on my son. Hey, you got to go practice your guitar. My daughter, you know, I try to get, she loves to draw. She's a good artist. So I try to get them doing stuff other than being on their phone. But uh, my wife's a teacher, so she's she's really good about um, corralling them away from the electronic devices. Do you find yourself focusing more on fiction? Do you switch between say maybe poetry fiction other mediums like where do you find yourself really kind of living in the writing world so i write fiction for the most part um i've always like i guess probably you know a lot of a lot of kids start out with hemingway and then they learn about other writers you know um there's a lot of short story writers i really like like raymond carver that like really opened my eyes. It's like, oh, wow, you can write about like everyday, normal blue collar people, you know, um, the ending doesn't always have to be neat and, um, you know, like canned. Um, then, you know, went on to Dennis Johnson. Flannery O'Connor is a huge influence of mine. Um, Tobias Wolf, uh, Mary Gateskill. So I write a lot of short stories. I did write a novel um, thankfully it, my, so my collection right now, only lucky is a story collection. Um, but they kind of all, they're fairly cohesive. I would say it's not like you it, it doesn't feel like you're where you're reading like an oddball selection of things slapped together. They kind of all have like a similar voice. Um, but I did write a novel at one point. Unfortunately it didn't get published cause I'd be really embarrassed if it did. Cause it wasn't that good, you know? And after that, that's when I started publishing my short story. So I was probably, I probably wrote for about nine or 10 years and got like 200 rejections from literary journals before I got my first acceptance. And then after that, um, you know, it was still, they were still spread out. You know, you got more rejections than acceptances, but 
I start getting more, you get a couple one a year and carrying back to like how it bleeds into, you know, other facets of my life. I mean, I think that's kind of what's made me a good salesman because I'm used to getting rejected, you know? Uh, my wife once tried to break up with me six months into dating. I told her no. And then she was like confused. And now we're, you know, we're married like 17 years later with two kids. As a writer, you had mentioned needing to become more accustomed to the idea of rejection. And how do you find that that has helped you either craft your writing as you go back to first and second drafts? uh, Or how do you think that's provided you some passion or oomph as it relates to going to the next project, et cetera. So, you know, I, I'd say kind of like a writers, uh, we, we tend to operate more in a vacuum, I think, just because it is an isolated activity. Uh, I always envy other types of art. Like, you know, when I go to a concert or just like a weekend or two at the October Fest, you know, watching the live music, I'm like, oh man, that looks fun. I wish... I am I am not inclined at music at all. So I can never be up there. I can't sing. Cats start like, you know, meow when I when I belt out a tune. But like up people up there playing the drums, playing the guitar. I'm like, man, that looks fun. I wish I could do that. But I I can't. That's not my gift. And then I see other people, like I look at paintings. Like I love art. I love music. I love painting. And um, it all influences me. But like as a writer, I'm just and plus like I'm working all the time. I'm just kind of in a vacuum. So I really don't know what's going on. Um, as far as like the rejections, I get back. Um, you know, you, usually they don't tell you too much on the rejection slips, like give you too much feedback. Sometimes they give you a little snippet and I will use that. Um, as far as like crafting my words to like kind of, you know, make it more marketable. Uh, probably would be smarter if I did that. I just don't know how. I'm just, I write what I write. Now, I will tell you this, like what I'm working on now um, currently is a novel in stories in the crime genre because the last two, so the last story in Only the Lucky is actually a novella. It's about 90 or 100 pages and it ties in with the preceding story. They like, they tie in, like the character from the first one is in the second one. Um, and so what I'm working on now is a project where everything's linked. It's crime. It's got like, you know, it's marketable. Like, I think I could probably, I'm hoping find like a literary, literary agent. Cause they can read and say, oh yeah, we can, we know where to put this. If we put it in this box, um, whereas only the lucky, I love it. It's a great collection. Um, you know, I've got some blurbs from some writers I respect, but yeah, I understand from, you know, an agent's point of view or something, they might read like, oh yeah, this is nice. All right. He can string together some words, but how would I sell this thing? You know, I write what I like. I write what I want to read. You know, that's kind of dictates what I do. So. And as we think forward to writers who may be just starting their journey, is there any piece of advice that you might give to someone who either is having difficulty putting pen to paper or uh, finding what the next step is with their writing. Yeah. Well, the weird thing is, is um, it doesn't get easier. You know, actually I think I'm better at what I do now, but like 20 years ago, it was maybe a little easier for me, maybe because I didn't have all the distractions, you know, 
I, I, the career hadn't taken off. I did wasn't married, didn't have kids. And, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't have all those hindrances. I, my mind was freer. So I, it was easier for me to put stuff on paper, but I, I had a harder time organizing and editing it. Whereas now, like, you know, I, I go into a project, sometimes my brain feels like mush from everything that's going on during the day, like the client calls and kids activities and all that. But um, I feel like I know what I'm doing a little more now. It's not easier, but I feel like I know what I'm doing a little more. And I would say that you really, you kind of learn what works for you as you go along. And it 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 doesn't show itself initially. Like it's it's a process you might have to, you might not start figuring out your process to five, 10 years down the road, but you just got to sit down and you just got to write. Like some days, um, you know, I'll, I'll write maybe more words and I know it's, it's just going to be a, a string of crap and embarrassing, but I'm like, I got to get stuff down and then I'll print it out. I'll look at it the next morning. I'm like, all right, this is good. This is good. It's like, oh, well, maybe I should start this uh, story with this paragraph here, because this is where the story starts, all this other stuff's fluff. And then I'll start from there and I'll write maybe a thousand words and then I'll cut half of them. Then I'll revise. So I'm always like printing out stuff. I'm throwing it on the floor. I got like five pages. I got things saved as five different files. And then I can't remember what files it's saved under. It's, it's just sloppy. It's sloppy about for about 90% of the journey and then about the last 10 percent, it starts coming together and that's the payoff because like it it's torture most days you know but then when you start seeing it come together you realize this is why i do it because it's it's all it's it's like a high you know it's a it's an adrenaline rush um yeah. I just want to take a moment here to remind our listeners that you're tuned in to News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV for Delaware State of the Arts. I'd love to turn over the mic now to Don to read an excerpt from his story, Only the Lucky. Uh, and Don, go ahead and take it away. All right. So um, since it's a story collection, I'm going to read two excerpts from two different stories. Um, the, uh, the first one's just the first paragraph from a story called Daddy in it. It's about a, a guy who, you know, he's, he's got an on-again, off-again relationship with um, uh, this girl he's been with for 10 years. And he later on, he finds out that the kid's not his, but he raises it nonetheless. <clears throat> 10 years, me and Carla had been together, mainly on but there'd been times she'd had her fill of me and set foot for greener pastures, last time being four and a half years ago. When she came back 12 weeks after our breakup, she had a bump in her belly. I did the math and decided she was telling the truth about whose it was. Was I nervous? Hell yeah, of course, but excited and optimistic at the same time. Kind of like when you're about to get on one of them rides that throws all its stock and centrifugal force and you're certain the screws will pop out because you can't trust vagabond carnies having the wherewithal to put such a contraption together. But you hop on anyway, because there's been nothing so far in your crappy little life that makes you feel so alive. So this I'm going to read from Only the Lucky Now, which is the, <clears throat> the title story of the collection. And it's about this uh, 
out of work preacher uh, with a gambling problem. Um, he tried to start a lifestylepreneur business and things aren't going too well for him. Um, of course, there's some parts in here that won't make sense because <clears throat> you have to read the rest of it, but I'm going to read from this. This is towards the end of it. And this is the, the character talking as the protagonist, Jimmy. As he clutched the television, he accepted the fact that there was one more thing he should discard. Sure, he'd thought about it before, that time he bought the hose and decided to end things in the garage. But that was more pomp and circumstance, a party for his self-pity, a way to prove how sad and pathetic he had become. He never put the hose in his mouth nor attached it to the exhaust, merely stared at it as he sat in the driver's seat of the white grand marquee he used to drive. What was different this time was how quickly the idea spread over him, like wisteria climbing a trellis. He gave it a kind look this time, because what was death if not freedom? What a relief it would be to dispatch the pull of his baser impulses, the burden of accountability, accountability for his sister, now Dylan, everything he had messed up, the demise of his church, his marriage, the relationship with his daughter. What had he put out in this world? Nothing. Debts accrued. He was simply a borrower. No, not even that. He was a thief because he'd never pay back all that he'd taken. He waded into the water slowly this time, letting the icy water breach his knees, then his waist. He kept walking. It crested his chest, his shoulders. He paused, staring at the purplish red flowers of a pawpaw tree growing near the shore. A water strider landed before him, rocking the water almost imperceptibly. He took another step until the water was past his lips. In another step, he was in over his head. The television kept him anchored below the surface. He felt it in his eyes first, the pressure, a pressure that soon spread to his nose and extended to his ears and throat. The pressure multiplied until his head felt ready, until his head felt ready to detonate, his nose and lungs antagonized by the absence of the very thing they were designed to do. Now he knew what Lucy felt. All he had to do was open his mouth and suck the lake water into his lungs. One big inhalation and he could end it. The struggle aborted. Just fill them, Jimmy. End it. End the hurt. End the destruction. But could he? What about Michael? May? Wouldn't he always be accountable to them no matter what side of the dirt he chose? His bloated body pulled from the water. That's something they'd never be able to shake. He understood the heartache of living with ghosts, and it wasn't right they should have to carry his. The image of May's pale face and blue eyes, the smattering of freckles along the bridge of her nose and cheeks, and her sweet, smooth voice calling his name rose like a bubble in the dark water, pulling him. His fingers slipped loose from the television, and he broke the surface, gasping and thrashing about, taking in ragged breaths. He moved the shallower waters. He, he crawled from the lake and lay on the beach, the rocks and pebbles making a jagged bed. He blinked the water away, the lingering touch of the waning sun on his forehead. Nearly 60 years he'd been taking his best punches, wringing his own neck, and no good had come of it. Truth was, he never wanted to hurt nobody. Love and joy and peace, those were the blessings he wished upon others, the same blessings he wouldn't grant himself. 
to think of his congregants reaching out to him during his pastoring days, looking for some kind of antidote to allay their troubled souls, not knowing his own was eaten up like termite-infested wood. He felt foolish not seeing the parallel until now, that what you allowed yourself, you allowed others. It was a hell of a long time to be stuck on a lesson, but it was learned now. It was ingrained. Clemency was not owed, was not owed him. Nevertheless, he would grant it. We're wrapping up here. And so I just wanted to give uh, our listeners one last chance to know where to go online if they'd like to learn more either about you or your books uh, that are upcoming. Yeah. So um, you can find out uh, a tiny bit about me on my uh, website, um, donfosterwriter.com. Delaware State of the Arts is a weekly podcast that presents interviews with arts organizations and leaders who contribute to the cultural vibrancy of communities throughout Delaware. Delaware State of the Arts is provided as a service of the Delaware Division of the Arts in partnership with News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. The Delaware Division of the Arts, a branch of the Delaware Department of State, is committed to supporting the arts and cultivating creativity to enhance the quality of life in Delaware. Together with its advisory body, the Delaware State Arts Council, the division administers grants and programs that support arts programming, educate the public, increase awareness of the arts, and integrate the arts into all facets of Delaware life. To find out more about the division, visit arts.delaware.gov.